Welcome to Honest Talk about heartbreak, dating, and relationships. Relationships. The podcast helping you navigate your path to happy ever after with your host, Rob McPhillips from RelationshipGPSProject.com. So here's the question. How are people like us who didn't grow up being taught how to have an authentic relationship or have any great relationship role models who are facing the usual challenges and stresses of work and life? How do we get over breakups, get into authentic relationships and maintain love and connection with all of the challenges of the modern world without losing our identity or sanity? My quest is to get you the answers. Can you give us a quick like autobiography of from birth to now? Oh, okay. So I was born in Belgium, um, army parents. So I spent the first eight years of my life abroad. Um, moved to Newcastle, where all my family are Geordies. And um, lived with my mum and dad and my brother. Uh, my mum and dad got divorced and we moved back down to where I live now, currently. Basically, at school, I was a complete nerd. I was very withdrawn, very shy, very self-conscious. I just threw myself into schoolwork and um, was very unsure of myself. Did quite well at school obviously because that's where my attention was and um, then I went off to university. Um, I was really keen to go because my relationship with my mum was horrendous. My relationship with my dad was awful. He just basically abandoned us once he'd left and my my mum and I never gelled from that point on which was weird because she then became a foster parent and just before I was about to leave for uni. During the meeting that we all had to attend with the um, foster board was, she announced that she didn't want to foster girls because she didn't particularly like them. Obviously I was, a, I was in that meeting, I was just like that. Really? Well, thanks for letting me know. And then, so I just escaped to university. Again, very unsure of myself, very insecure, just, did my thing really until I met a group of girls and it, we all moved into a house together and we were all as dysfunctional as each other. And that was probably the first time I ever felt like I had a home. I had a wicked three years. I didn't want to go home, so I didn't. I went and worked in a theme park for a couple of years. Series of relationships. I didn't really have my first relationship, so I was about 26. A series of relationships which didn't work out for whatever reason and took me around the country and then I came home and I met my then husband, my husband as he was. I became pregnant very quickly and we got married. And the last 15 years I've just been, the relationship didn't work out, but he was a lovely man. He is a lovely man and we have a great relationship with our daughter, but he wasn't really what I was looking for. So we split and since then I've just had a series three, maybe four relationships in 11 years, which have all been the same man with a different face. And after the last one was when I, I stopped and really had to think about what the hell was going on. Um, can I just pick out a couple of things? Yeah. So in the marriage, we, in your marriage, you said it, it didn't really work out. What was missing? What He came along to me when I, at a time where I was... I was recovering from a very damaging relationship back. I, I had moved to Leicester and I had a relationship with somebody in Leicester and it had failed and I had come home and I was not in a good place. So I came home and I got a job and I met him 
and he was everything that the other guy wasn't. So he was stable and kind and thoughtful and lovely and our families knew each other and it was everything that was safe for me. And I did love him and I do love him still, but I was never in love with him. And that was what was missing. He was, I felt like I had another child really. And he was quite passive and just quite laid back. And I, I needed somebody who would not challenge me, but was a little bit more challenging, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so you need someone more challenging. Um, what was it? What is it about needing someone more challenging? At the time, obviously I've come a long way since then, but at the time I wanted someone who was going to make me feel a certain way. Um, wanted, I was looking to him to make me happy, to make me feel appreciated, sexy, adored, all the rest of things. And because of his character and how laid back he was about everything, even though he was offering me security and friendship and trust and, and love, and he did love me, I was more, I needed that... Um, I needed the drama, I suppose, at that time. I needed, I associated that with falling in love and being in love with somebody, which is, which I've learned is completely wrong. Not wrong, but completely incorrect, if that's a better way of thinking. Um, but I, my model or my idea of love back then was entirely different to what it is now. Okay. So it was kind of like um, the passion wasn't there. You, he no, didn't make it. you feel like he did. You didn't feel like he really desired you. He didn't feel like he, so like you couldn't feel that. Excitement. Yeah. All right. So, so you left that kind of relationship. Well, we, we left each other very respectfully. It mm. wasn't, there was no drama. Um, yeah. We had a daughter together. And so for a year and a half afterwards, three nights a week, we would have dinner together at his house and at my house so that our daughter knew that we were still united. Mm. And um, I'm still very, very good friends with his mum. She is like my mum. And I'm still very, very good friends with him. Okay. But the relationship ended and and you, you looked at new relationships, but you were looking for someone that would make you feel that alive, that attractive that kind of passion yeah and, and so when, when you're talking about the model of love that you had then what was that the model of love I suppose when was probably atypical to the relationship I had immediately after my my ex-husband and I met him online I wasn't that bothered about him facially like physically I wasn't that interested I was a little bit yeah whatever but he was just so full-on and he was you're amazing. You're, I didn't know women like you existed and, and all the rest of it. And I was just like, from somebody who had been like um, passion starved almost for however long it had been, this was just like, it was a drug to me. And I was just, oh my God, this is what real love feels like. This is amazing. And um, yeah. <laughs> That's that sort of phase of that relationship lasted about six weeks, and then when it stopped, I remember it because I was sat at the same table and I was going, I don't understand. I haven't heard from him for a few days, you know, and I was just like talking to a friend of mine, going, "What have I done wrong?" You know, he's suddenly he's gone from being 
and then that's when all the sort of doubt and everything crept in and it was just and it was like that on and off for about eight months okay and then how did that come to an end it came to an end because his he wanted me to meet his family very quickly. I mean, literally on the third date, I think I turned up for dinner with him and his entire family were there and I was completely unaware of this. And his mum latched onto me really quickly and she wanted to meet me outside of the relationship, like go for lunch and things like that. And so we, I guess me and her built up a friendship. And um, I was being, I try not to throw in like all these terminologies because these are things I didn't realize at the time, but I was being constantly compared to his ex-missus, always being compared to her. Oh, Gemma did this and Gemma did that and da 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 da. By his mum or by him? By his mum. And in a bad way, that she was sort of being negative towards Gemma, um, but at the same time, sort of, it was, she was trying to enforce our relationship saying you're the best thing that's ever happened to him so she was as gushing as as he was then when he withdrew i still had this friendship with her and i just started noticing things that she was saying which was yes yes you just don't ask me about it and i'm like ask you about what and it turned out that they were um, meeting for lunch and things like that um, so at which point I turned around and told him to get lost, really. I was absolutely devastated. I'd invested in this relationship. Um, and, <clears throat> and then he would do the whole, but you're the one I want to be with, and da 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 and he'd just go on, and I'd be convinced, and then I'd go back to him and with some boundaries, which were obviously very weak, and he just basically annihilated those boundaries. By the end, by eight months, after I'd been up and down, up and down, and at one point my ex-husband came round to see me and he was just like, what is this person doing to you because you look absolutely destroyed? Um, I kind of put two and two and two and two together. I did a quick search on his Facebook page, found that he was actually involved with five other women, including his ex. And I sent a message to them all and just saying, I, I'm in a relationship with this man. Um, I believe that you are as well. And then I went to bed. And um, when I woke up in the morning, I had 157 missed calls. My, my inbox had exploded and I was just like, shit. Um, and I actually felt um, some of the messages I was getting off him was... Um, very threatening. Fortunately, my daughter wasn't with me. She was with her dad for the evening. I just locked the house and I just, he turned up at my house, banging on the door. What the hell have you done? What the hell are you doing? And I was in contact with a lot of these women after that. Um, that he had been, the nights that he said that he couldn't be with me, he was actually driving 200 miles to meet a new one. And it turned out he was working in six week cycles, which I figured out. So the six-week cycle that he actually stopped talking to me was actually driving to Sheffield to meet the next one, all the while still in contact and dating his, his ex-missus. And he'd done that and it caught up with him. And we actually met up. I met up with one of them. And 
she actually went back to him in the end briefly, but she did. And from that point on, he left me alone because he knew I was dangerous. He knew that I would, I would not go down quietly. And that was the end of it, but it had its effect on me massively. It really changed, made me guarded. It made me um, really question my relationship model, but not to a massive extent at that time. I just distracted myself with work and with my daughter and just got on with life. Mm. And that was the first one. Okay, so having gone through that, then, then like, uh, what, what happened? With, with the next one? Yeah. So the next one, I was careful that I didn't want somebody who was all singing or dancing, gushing, I love yous. I met him on our first day. We had this like immediate connection. He was not that way at all. He was very shy, very lovely. Um, and the, the relationship looking back was almost the same. The alarm bells started ringing when we were spending an evening together and his phone kept going. And he didn't have a massive circle of friends and he had a very toxic relationship with his family. Um, so I was like, well, he, who's texting you? And at that, he exploded at me and he was shouting, he was accusing me of cheating on him and everything. And I was so stunned, I actually laughed. I was just like, what the hell are you talking about? And uh, he then went into sulks for days and days and days. And, and then I was just wanting it all to be over, like the whole drama of this one episode to be over. And I just, I don't know, we just brushed it under the carpet and, and stuff like that. But I knew there was something significantly wrong when we were sat in my garden and I was reading a magazine and he was just sat, just doing nothing really. And it was a beautiful day and we were just chilling. And uh, he started saying things like, you have no right to be in a relationship with me. And I just thought, don't bite. I just kept saying to myself, don't bite, don't bite, don't, don't anger the beast. He said, and, I, and I just said, oh, right, okay, why? He said, because you're still technically married to your husband. I was like, Dan and I haven't been together for six years. That's really unlikely. <laughs> you know um, he, and then he, he just wouldn't let it go and he just and I kept reading the magazine even though I wasn't reading it and he was just sniffing at me sniffing at me sniffing at me and I just kept reading this magazine or pretending to and then he said something I can't remember what it was and I just went for God's sake and as soon as I did that he smiled and I knew then that was significantly something was significantly wrong with this this whole picture um, so I asked him to leave, I said, don't text me, don't ring me, don't just get out of house, leave me alone. And then um, the messages I got were absolutely horrendous, calling me the C word, calling me everything, calling me cheating, lying, whatever. So I actually went online and I just thought, and I did an online quiz, which was, am I being emotionally abused? And I scored 85% based on the questions. And I just thought, I didn't see it. I just didn't see it. 
gone for someone entirely different. But I had ended up with someone exactly the same. So following that, I stayed away from um, men for a little while. I remember. And then a couple of years ago, I thought, you know what? I quite fancy, you know, having a, a dating scene rather than a relationship. Because I do work away and I'm, I work hard. It would be nice to, when I got home to have someone to go out for dinner with or something like that. And he, the person that I actually found on Plenty of Fish, um, he was again very full on. And I said, this isn't going to work because you live so far away from me. Oh, no, we can sort it out. You know, is this, that, blah, 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 blah. And then within days, he said, right, I'm coming up to see you. And I was like, oh, no, okay. So we went out for lunch and he um, was full on, full on, full on. And then within a week, he was like sending me photos of properties around where I live, saying I'm going to move to be with you and stuff like this. And I was just like alarm bells ringing. And just over Christmas, the Christmas, he was going away between Christmas and New Year. And because it was the first year without his children and he didn't want to be at home on his own. So he was going to Madeira. And um, I, was, I understood that completely. And he says, he said to me, if you don't want me to go and I could come and spend some time with you, just tell me. I said, I'm not going to deny you a holiday. You know, it's fine. And he kept on, if you want me to, I'll come up and see you. I said, all right, then. If, you, if you're sure, then that'd be great. And he went, wow, I can't believe you're asking me to give up my holiday. And I was just like that. Um, anyway, Christmas Day, he rang me like 30 times or something. Like, a minute here, a minute there, just saying, like, oh, I am cooking dinner, everyone's fit to do it, whatever. 30 times he rang me. And then following that, he was flying out to Madeira. And I rang him and I couldn't get hold of him. And I thought, when he's surrounded by family at Christmas Day, he can ring me 30 times and yet he's on holiday on his own and he can't pick up the phone. And it took about an hour for me to... I contacted a friend who's quite good at Facebook stalking and she, uh, she found her, his uh, fiance and him were in Madeira together. Yeah, they had four kids between and they lived together. But again, I think I wasn't in love with him because I didn't know him, but I just felt ridiculously stupid for believing him. And then, obviously, there's the last one, which is the most recent. So I, again, I left it a long time for me just to concentrate on work, concentrate on my daughter. Um, and then I, by some weird thing, I went onto Facebook and it was like Bumble is this new dating app. I just thought I'd give that a go. It's one where the women have to make the first move and if they decide that it's not working, then they disappear. And that's fine because plenty of fish could be quite predatory. Um, incidentally, all of my boyfriends have been off the internet. Um, what correlation there's, who knows? But you know, I, I think um, people who are more narcissistic, um, sociopathic, psychopathic, 
they tend to over-index on dating sites because they're more charming, they're more attractive initially. Um, they have less self-consciousness, so they're more able to put themselves out there. They, so they attract more. So they they are generally more attractive. Um, yeah, they're keyboard warriors, aren't they? They can mm. be anything they want to be. It's just. I, I, and I think it's it's also true in 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 real life as well because. Um, if you have less self-consciousness, if you ha if you don't really care what people think, except you're just trying to get a result, then you have more freedom to, to do anything and, and to be anything. And if you're focused on being more charming, whereas most people tend to be like they're worried what people are thinking of them and they're, they're um, intimidated by people and things like that. So it's easier for someone with those traits to appear more attractive. And so they... Um, and also because they're more promiscuous, they're more, um, focused that they develop skills to attract people. And, and yeah, so I think they, even though they're quite small in number, they, um, shine a lot more, um, online. They're not small in number there, uh, Rob, hundred percent not. I did a little social experiment, um, that... About three months ago, I went on to Bumble again, following the most recent um, as part of my research and things. I wasn't on there to manipulate or to trick anybody. I just wanted, I just clicked on a variety of, of um, profiles. I wasn't actually there to meet somebody, but I'm, I just wanted to see if I could spot um, you know, a narcissistic personality or an abusive personality um, quickly. So I did have some lovely chats with some lovely people and then I just sort of realised that, you know, they, they probably were getting their hopes up and I wasn't being fair. So I was just sort of like, unfortunately, actually, I've made a decision. I'm not going to date anybody and released them to the world of dating. But there was a couple and they were full on. Um, I want to meet you, I want to do this. And I said, well, generally as a rule, I would only ever meet somebody after I'd had a good couple of phone conversations with them because at the end of the day, if you don't get on in on the phone, you can't hold a conversation on the phone. It's very little point in meeting them in real life. And he said, yeah, yeah that's fine. If this is the one. Um, so we had a conversation um, and he was proper full-on charming, got the banter, got the gift of the gab, all the rest of it. And he even mentioned there was one picture where he was on a cruise ship. He says, what are you doing in November? And I was like, well, probably I'm going to be at Twickenham, but, you know, who knows? And he was just sort of like, well, no, in November, I'm going to be taking on the cruise with me. This is, I've never actually met this man. So I thought, yes, 100%, I've got one here. So I decided to play it out. Um, so I carried on to responding to his text messages, which involved photos of things that he's eaten, um, pictures of him getting drunk, and uh, pictures of him playing golf. There was very little interest in anything that I was doing or um, anything of interest to me. When I got back from the event, I decided that this needed to end now because I think I'd proven my point. And um, I just said to him, I don't actually think it's worth us meeting next week because I don't think we actually have all that much in common. 
I was respectful. I wasn't nasty or anything. I was really respectful. And I said, it's been really fun chatting and I really hope you find what you're looking for. And then I went to bed. And when I woke up, I had this like essay of a text message from it, absolutely annihilating me. Um, saying, annihilating my job, my character, uh, swearing at me, just saying what a waste of time it's been, even though it'd only been like literally seven or eight days. Um, and I just thought, yeah, there you go. I've um, effectively proven that I can, just by creating a boundary with this person, um, prove and save myself a whole lot of shit, really. So, yeah, I think internet dating is the available playground for for narcissists, for people who are prepared to cheat on their, their, their loved ones, it gives them a way out. They are keyboard warriors. And as much as it's where most people do meet their significant others, I have decided, I've made the decision that it's not somewhere that I will be going on it ever again. I want to see someone in real life before I even consider giving any of time. Hmm. I, I think, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think dating sites can be very toxic places. I think, uh, I mean, there's some statistic, it was a huge percentage were already in a, um, in a marriage or a committed relationship who are, you know, both men, men and women. Um, and I, and I think the fact that it makes it look like a sweetie shop where you can have whatever you want. Yeah. It kind of object, it kind of objectifies people. Um, it is because fundamentally you're just looking at that to say that you're looking at the profile pictures and the, the first sort of qualification is, do I fancy them? Hmm. Um, quite often when I've been at work and I've been um, confronted with the same man, um, and his personality almost doesn't match his face or whatever. And I've been talking to him in real life and he could be a customer or a colleague or whatever. I would be like, if I saw you on, inter on the internet dating, I would probably click yes. But realistically, in real life, absolutely no way. This is just mm. not something that I'm interested in. So mm. you know, fundamentally, what you are doing online is do I fancy this person? And... I think women are just as bad as men. I've got two very good male friends and the stories they've told me and women tend to go on there for an ego massage, putting nice, a nice photo of themselves and people just telling them how amazing they look. Mm. Um, but on the other side, there could be a genuinely interested man or woman. Um, and this woman has absolutely no interest in pursuing a relationship at all she just needs she's at home she's got kids she's got an unappreciative partner she's just using these um these compliments and these conversations because she's lonely she's got low self-esteem she needs that fit mm. so, so for me i'm out with uh, internet dating and i'm very happy with my decision Right, so, uh, but we just need to go back because we never covered the last one and I've got a feeling there's, there's more of a story than the last one. Yeah, the last one was uh, the real turning point for me. 
So I met him on Bumble. We chatted for a week. I had these sort of, um, got their rules, which are I need to have a telephone conversation with them first before I meet them. We spoke at length and we got on really well on the phone and we arranged a meeting. Um, I arranged a meeting near me so that, and two people knew I was there. These are just the rules that I would always go with um, for sort of like personal safety. Um, he added me to Facebook really quickly, which is, which is a good sign. Shows that they haven't got anything to hide, all that sort of thing. So I did really, really cover my, my arse really on that one. We met um, for our first date and we had a wonderful time. And we met the second day and the third day and we had five dates in a week. And it was all very heady, very lovely, very... It wasn't massively... Um, forthcoming with the affirmations, the adulation, but his, he was giving me his, a lot of his time and attention. And I was a little bit in awe of him, if I'm honest. He was incredibly, well, I thought incredibly handsome man. And I was just so sort of like, oh my God, he really likes me, I'm exciting, you know. And um, yeah. And I was reading something today, it was when did you know? And I thought about it. And when I knew was the first weekend that I stayed with him. We were, um, we were spending the day with his, friend, with his friends. So I, I went to his neck of the woods, which was about 40 minute drive away from me. I didn't know anybody there. I was spending the day with his friends and him. And that whole day, I was pretty much ignored by everyone. I was just an audience to him and his friends. And I just felt very isolated and I felt very vulnerable because of, I was suddenly in a position with somebody I barely knew with friends who I didn't know in a town I didn't know. And I felt quite vulnerable. So halfway through the day, I actually said to him, I'm not really sure what's going on, but I'm not very comfortable right now. Um, he was then, oh my God, you know, and he's holding my hand and he was making more of an effort and stuff like that. And then that night when we got back, I got the, I love you and falling in love with you. And I was just like, yeah, lovely. Um, this relationship without going into too much detail was probably the most damaging to me because it was just so subtle. Um, I, I had an operation in December, which was a full hysterectomy. And um, he had moved in by that point. We'd been together just, a, oh, just under a year by that point. <coughs> we had a puppy, which he'd insisted we get. Um, and I just felt like my little family was complete. Um, his children had taken to me very well and I had taken to them. And, I was going into hospital and he was moving, he'd moved in with me. So I had the support I needed at home. I went into hospital, I had the operation, the operation went fine. He did make some comments when I was in hospital about there's no point in being there because I was so off my, off my head on drugs, prescribed drugs. Um, and I thought that was incredibly selfish of him. Uh, the operation went well, but then the recovery didn't. Unfortunately, I 
I had some severe complications, which meant that I had to go to the hospital every single day to have my wounds packed, cleaned and dressed. Um, two weeks of that, he left me. And I was absolutely stunned. But in between him leaving me and the operation, um, he completely verbally annihilated me in front of my, my daughter. Um, he shouted at me, I saw such change in his face. And I saw the redness come down and I, I've, got, I've had conflict training at work, which involves putting your hands forward and stepping back, not making eye contact, talking, talking them down, you know, not trying to antagonize them. I found myself automatically doing that. And, um, and then he left me alone and I just was in an absolute state of shock. The things that he said, the manner in which he'd said it was completely out of the blue and I'd never seen that side to him. And I, bearing in mind, I stood there in my surgical stockings. I was still on very strong painkillers. I was still, I had a, an open wound in my stomach, you know, and I was just absolutely stunned. I came from nowhere and I, and it was unprecedented for me. The days that followed that, I was, I had the tears and the remorse and I'm so sorry and blah, 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 blah. And I just couldn't bring myself to look at him because I just felt absolute shell-shocked, I think the word was, absolute shock. And um, I just was on autopilot. It was Christmas and kids were all like having an amazing time and he was playing games with the kids and I was just didn't really, I had absolutely no idea who I was anymore. And I, that day, I went to the hospital as normal to get my, my dressings changed. And the nurse was like, what the hell is going on with you? Because this is not, not only not healing, but it's, it's bleeding, it's getting worse. What is going on at home? And I, it all came out then and she, it was her that said, you are being controlled. This relationship is abusive. And I was like, no, it's not. We just had a, you know, we've both been under so much pressure, blah, 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 blah. But it's planted a seed in my head and I confronted him about it. And um, it was literally days later, he left me saying he didn't love me anymore. And then following that, I went through the whole confusion, the grief, the denial, the anger, the resentment. It left me, it changed his profile picture and his Facebook status within a week and um, was having a lovely time down the pub with his mates. And this is a man who was supposed to be in a committed, loving, nurturing, supportive relationship with me. And it was only the aftermath of that and the fact that I couldn't distract myself with work. I couldn't go to the gym as some coaches have suggested I do or buy yourself a new outfit, you're gonna be absolutely fine. You know, I couldn't work, I couldn't walk, I couldn't drive, I couldn't do anything. And uh, I just had to sit in this misery and that is when I started looking for answers. What the hell have I been through? Who the hell have I been in a relationship with? How the hell can I get past this? And that has been the focus of the last eight months of my life, really. 
And um, after four and a half months of going to the hospital every day, I was signed off and I could go back to work. But by that point, I was, I was done. I was good. I was happy. I was complete. I was a completely different person. And I've just spent the last three and a half months just working and enjoying my life. But I'm still dedicated to educating other people that the relationships, that relationships can be extremely abusive without you actually bloody knowing it. And I didn't know it. I consider myself a strong, independent woman. I've got a great job. I've got my own house, got a nice car, I've got an amazing daughter, I've got a little dog, I've got friends. But by the time that a year of him, I was I was just broken. I was emotionally, physically bankrupt. I had nothing left to give anybody. And it was only retrospectively looking back that I could see everything that he had done, how he had manipulated me, how he had controlled me, how he had done that in various different ways, how he triangulated me with his friendship group, how his, his children with his ex-misses, how I just felt like I just wasn't good enough. I was constantly jumping through hoops to try and meet his needs and trying to communicate with him my needs and um, being told that he's not good enough, he, he could never meet my needs and therefore I made him feel like a failure so then I felt guilty for communicating my needs. Um, at one point he suggested, or I suggested I should go for counselling, which I did. I went for five, six sessions of counselling, which cost me a fortune. Um, and he just sort of let me go off and do it and he didn't make any effort on his part. And it's just looking back, it was so subtle, it was so insidious. It was so bloody damaging to me at the time. And that is, that is what I want people to understand, that just because someone doesn't punch you in the face does not mean that you are not being abused. Okay. Um, if it's, are you okay talking about this? Like, I'd like to go into a little bit more detail. Yeah, no, no, go for it. Shoot. Okay. So, um, right. Now people, um, like you say, emotional abuse actually has more impact on people rather than physical abuse. But physical abuse is kind of invasive in that. Um, sometimes it comes out of the blue and, and maybe you're not able to, to stop it. Um, emotional abuse is something that's done to you, but if, if names and things are going to affect you, there's something like to someone else, they might just bounce off but there has to be some level of insecurity or something that makes you believe that there must be um, something about it that's true because otherwise you're just going to disregard it and you're just going to go like, well, you know, like why are you insulting me? So, and it's, it's usually something that we feel ashamed of or some like deep, like there's three core wounds of abandonment, betrayal and shame. And, it, and 
when something hits that, we're like so frightened and so unable to look at it logically that we just accept it and we're just trying to kind of cover it up. So what I'm looking for is there were, there must've been certain vulnerabilities that because someone can emotionally abuse you, but if you're really strong and you have your boundaries and you're really secure in who you are and you don't have any, any kind of. Then he wouldn't be attracted to him in the first place in all honesty. Yeah. But no, you're right. Um, and this is part of the, my research is sort of like, it's very easy for, for, for people to come out of relationships and then just blame everything on, on somebody else um, and say, well, they've got their issues and they, they abused me and I was a victim of this and that and the other. I'm not talking on the, um, on behalf of anybody else but myself. Um, I had to take a really bloody hard look at myself and go, why the hell am I attracted to this? I had a very lovely husband. Yes, he was a little bit, a bit flaky is the word. I'm not slagging him off, he's lovely. But why was I so attracted to um, the, the attention, the dynamic, the da 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 and why am I fundamentally attracted to the same sort of man in a different disguise? And yes, you're right. I mean, Sir David Hawkins writes in um, Power Versus Force that 80% of the world live in a state of shame. And I, during my research, realised that I had as well. Something which I'm not prepared to go into, like happened during my childhood, um, which moulded my, my model of love. I learned very early on that love wasn't free-flowing. It wasn't free-flowing towards me. I had to earn it. Um, and I didn't particularly deserve it. I was particularly unworthy. I did live as in a sense of shame. Um, and so, yes, 100%, the foundation of, and again, we've talked about this before, is I hate the word codependency, but, and I will come up with another another word for it, codependency is shame it's a very negative view of yourself and a very positive view of other people and it's sort of like so you're like love me love me love me and you're constantly giving and giving and giving and you give until you've got nothing left to give and yes it does come from shame it does come from some sort of trauma on whatever scale that that will be that depends on the person um, I in my my research and my travels I've spoke to one woman and she she lost her dad when she was I think she was three and she had an amazing relationship with her mum but she's gone from abusive relationship to another one to another one she didn't understand why because her mum was like this free-spirited strong woman da 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 she went for psychotherapy or some hypnotherapy and it turns out when she was three years old that when her dad died, she walked into a room where her relatives were mourning and when she walked in, obviously they were trying to protect her from the grief. So everyone stopped and just looked at her as if to say nothing at all really. And from that point on, she lived with a sense that her dad died was going to fall. And she felt that that, them all stopping and looking at her would blame. So she felt 
for that. And so she has lived a life trying to seek the reassurance of the people <clears throat> that she's not blameful, that she's not shameful, that she is worthy, that she is deserving. And in doing that, you're going to set yourself up to meet the man who promised you, all the women, who promised you those things. Love, you've learned the love model, that love does not come to you easily. And that is why when my husband gave me love easily, I almost respected him less for it. Because I hadn't earned it. Um, so, yeah. So, when you say that you, you respected your husband less because, because you hadn't earned it, did you feel you'd earned it um, in the subsequent relationships? Well, I said, in as much as I hadn't earned it, I believe everyone has this lovely idea about love that it should be unconditional. I don't think there is any such thing as unconditional love because you're basically saying you can do whatever you want to me and I will always love you. Hmm. I think he did have unconditional love for me and any person confronted with that sort of dynamic will push boundaries and I did I mean I, I never cheated on him or hurt him in any way or anything like that but it wasn't a particularly respectful relationship I pushed I could talk to him like crap and he would take it from me and he would I'd apologize later and he'd accept it which just taught me then that I can always treat, talk to him like crap because there's always going to be forgiveness and it's only retrospectively that I realized just my own behavior was abusive to him not intentionally but you know how do i put it it's just my relationship with my mum and dad was just so difficult i did not feel loved or wanted by either one of them and as it turns out you know i have no relationship with either one of them and i haven't now for 16 years but i took from it and I remember saying to people the two people who are supposed to love me unconditionally don't so therefore I am unlovable I feel unlovable I feel unworthy I feel undeserving so when somebody like my husband gives me that love without condition it's almost like how the hell can you love me because I don't particularly love me right now and that in itself is narcissistic but we've had the conversation that everybody on some level is a narcissist. I'm sure this is all going to be very like controversial, but these are my beliefs. In my relationship with my husband, I was narcissistic towards him. And I didn't mean to be. I didn't do it intentionally. And retrospectively, I have apologized and he's agreed, that's the truth. It's just thrown another dimension to me, which I'm more aware of now. Not saying I've got narcissistic personality disorder, given a different dynamic of any relationship, it can happen. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the whole thing is a relationship is a dynamic between two people. So you're going to be a different person with someone else because it's all about stimulus and response and you bounce off each other. So, um, and I think we all, we all have to get to a place of self-acceptance so that we, and I think love is understanding the good and the bad. So, um, you know, like the whole idealization is like, is, you're perfect. Well, no one is. You, and you yeah. have to, and love is accepting the good and the bad and of yourself and of other people. And, um, yes, yeah, so we can all be. 
I think when we when I separated finally from my husband, we we did have a very frank conversation, and I said I, there are things that I want for myself, and are things that I want for you, and I want him to fall in love. I want him to be loved equally back. I was not able to do that for him, um, not on the same playing field. We weren't on the same page. I didn't. I did it out of kindness for we we did it out of kindness for ourselves. Really, we could tell that we were not functioning. We weren't healthy. It was going down the road of just. Um, it was just incredibly unhealthy. There was no physical abuse, no no intentional emotional abuse, but there was arguments and squabbling, and I wasn't happy. He wasn't happy, and we just looked at each other. We. And we cuddled, gave each other a kiss and said, it's fine. And that's what we did. And we maintained a friendship and I have accepted my, my responsibility in, in the demise in the relationship. And he, he took a little bit longer, but he's now very happy with his girlfriend who he loves and Jess, my daughter, loves her and everyone's happy now. So, yeah, I had to accept the fact that given the right dynamic, I could be equally as abusive. Okay. Um, okay, so the next thing that I, I want to look at is... So... You got in into this relationship, and you're, and you're, like you said, a strong, independent woman. Um, but you talked about losing yourself in the relationship, and to the point where you completely lost yourself, like didn't know who you were or, or, or what anything was. And I'd like to go in a little bit more detail about exactly how did that happen? How I lost myself. Hmm. Um. Again, these are realizations that I made retrospectively because when you're in it, you, you don't see it. I, I found myself trying to people please. His friends, his ex-misses, his children, him. <coughs> I started putting everybody else's needs before my own, even, even when I was poorly. Okay. Um, I and, and yeah, no, I'm, I'm just before you go on, I just want to get to what was the motivation behind that for him to like me, for him to like me more. For so, him to, um, yeah, so it's to make the relationship work because you, because I always think one of the big things that people where people lose themselves is they want that they decide the relationship is more important than their personal happiness. And so they kind of sell out a little bit. I yeah, know they don't make it consciously look at it like that, but they sort of sell out a little bit of themselves to try and make it work. Um, and, and so, yeah, so, so I'm, I'm interested in that. So it was, it was really to make the relationship work and make it, Yeah. Yeah. Um, I started downplaying my achievements. I, I won an award and um I did tell him about it and he was just like me. Yeah. Um, 
So I started downplaying my achievements, also downplaying my role at work. Uh, I work in sporting events and he's a massive sporting fan. So if I met celebrities or whatever, I, I could tell him about them and he'd just be like that, yeah. But what he was then doing was telling all his mates, it was sort of using my achievements to brag, but it was never actually the chain of praise never actually reached to me. Um, I, in between my operation and him leaving, I should have been on total bed rest. But it was really taking some time off work to help me and which involved him not doing very much at all. And obviously I have a home and children, well, a child and a dog. I stood and ironed his shirts. I became Mary fucking Poppins, to be fair. I was, I was just like, the house was spotless. And, and yeah, I should have been in bed on rest. And I was like, why am I doing this? And I, because by that point, I just wanted his approval because I feel that because of my operation or whatever, he didn't want me anymore. He'd, he started withholding affection, withholding, well, I couldn't have sex. So withholding any sort of affection, withholding any sort of intimacy from me. And I just thought it was because, looking back, it's ridiculous. You know, the house was clean and I looked nice and I couldn't bath, I couldn't shower because of my wound. So I was washing my hair in the sink, trying to put makeup on, bearing in mind I'd just had major surgery, trying to meet his approval. And the point I remember is walking into the hospital, like I said, and I remember looking at my reflection and I just looked, I thought, I have absolutely no idea who I am anymore. Because the person a year ago, or a year and a half ago, who told him to piss off, do his own bloody shirts, I'm going to bed. But by that point, I was just so needing his approval, needing his love back, because I felt like I'd lost it somehow. I and I had absolutely no idea how. Hmm. So because of how good it was initially and how he made you feel, was it that that, that you made you want to, to get that back and keep that? Yeah. I, I said to a friend of mine, I said, I feel like I'm creating dramas. And he said, what do you mean? And I said, I feel like I have to create a drama because that's the only time that he will then go, no, I love you and I want you and I want to be with you. The rest of the time is just completely, not, comp not all of the time, but it was just sort of manipulative and controlling and disapproving and da, da, da. and then I'd go actually do you know what I've had enough of this I don't I don't want this anymore I'm done I'm fed up I'm really sick of this and then I would get the oh but I love you I love you love you and all the rest of it which is what I desperately needed to hear and then it would be okay and I remember once I sent him a message and I figured it out it's not me you want it's a family it's a replacement family for the one that you've lost and he was like, no, 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 no. And I just switched off my phone. I just thought, no, this is it. I've, I've not, I haven't hit the nail on the head. Then he didn't, he took a day off work. He drove all the way up to my house. He came in, he sat on the sofa. And I was sat there and I was just like in total like misery. 
And he started crying and he started talking about his lost family and it became about him. And before I knew it, I was comforting him. Before I knew it, he was having a little nap because he was tired. Before I knew it, I was walking around the house thinking about what I could cook for dinner. And I was just like, how the hell did that happen? You know, I'd expressed uh, an issue and he had come along with his massive, massive big gesture of turning up at my house, taking a day off work to spend some time with me. And we ended up spending the whole day talking about him. His, his sob story, the one he always fell back on, which was how he lost his family the first time. And I, I was the one bloody tucking him in, making sure he was nice and warm and tidy and, and a bloody dinner. Man's a genius. Okay, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, about what, what, were, the, what were the ways that he, he manipulated you? Um, the big one for me was triangulation with his friendship group. Big one for me. Um, because I work away from home, um, maintaining that contact with the people that I care about is, is quite important. And although I'm very busy when I'm away, I can always make time to speak to somebody. So when we first got together, my, my work diary didn't really start until about three weeks, four weeks after we'd met. Um, and I'd been given a promotion and um, at this particular venue and it was quite a high profile and um, I was very excited by the opportunity. Um, leading up to that, I'd spent quite a lot of time over his neck of the woods with his friends, which I found a little bit overwhelming in as much as it was almost incestuous. Um, I felt going into that group, I was an add-on. They didn't, they didn't want to know anything really about me. Um, they didn't really spend much time talking to me or if I did try and say something, I was cut across and they did it all very politely. They were very lovely. But I just felt like I was an outsider looking in. On the first time that I met them, the one of them said that he was desperate for them to like me because if they didn't like me, I was gone. This, this is your ex or, or one of his friends? One of his friends, one of his female right. friends. And I was like, okay. At the time, I was you know, new to the relationship. I was exactly who I was. And I went, well, you're either going to like me or you don't. Um, either way, oh, it's just me. And for a little while, that you know, seemed to placate them. And it was sort of like a barrier for them. And they knew that they couldn't really mess with me sort of thing. And then... The more I got caught up with work, I would be trying to have conversations with him about important stuff and Facebook messages and things like that with him having an amazing time with his friends down in the pub. And yet whenever I went to the pub with him, they would never take photos. Um, she would send him, send him messages like, are you allowed out tonight? And that sort of thing, making it sort of like creating a an enemy between me and his mates, which I never wanted. I never really cared, you know, about them enough to want to be their enemy. You know, I'm just, I'm in a relationship with him, but I felt like I was in a relationship with all of them. And nothing I was doing was good enough. 
nothing. Promise Jane was good enough. For them? For them, yeah. Um, that was a massive thing for me. Um, I would try and contact him when I was at work and he'd be down the pub with his mates. Um, I had a, a bit of a situation happen at one event and I really needed a little bit of support from him. Um, and he was down the pub with his mates. Um, the other thing was I was trying to establish a relationship with his children. And I wanted to do that um, independently with him. Um, and this friendship group were like, we want to see the kids. We want to take the kids out. We're going to do this with the kids. So every time I was trying to establish some sort of relationship with the children, this friendship group would muscle in. Um, and for me to actually have that time with them was really difficult. And that bothered me. I just felt like that I was this little add-on. I was an observer of a world which wasn't mine with a man who I wanted to be me and him and then maybe the add-on, but no, it was the other, I was the add-on and I was triangulated repeatedly. And it was really difficult. Um, and then when he said he wanted to move in with me and stuff like that, I was like, are you sure? Because you're not going to be with your mates all the time. It's like, no, no, no. But as soon as he moved in, that was it. I lost, he lost. He, he did change completely. Um, In the sense that he thought he had you and... Yeah. And I was, again, overcompensating, saying, go out with your mates, I don't mind, you know, and I really didn't. I really didn't care if he went out with his mates or not. He was living with me now, we're in a committed relationship. But um, he wouldn't because he wanted to be seen like he was the dutiful carer, even though he just spent most of the time playing on his PlayStation. Uh, it just, I find the whole relationship with his friends just completely toxic. The fact that they had that, the, the things they used to do as well were, I'd be sat with him um, in the beer garden on a hot summer's day one of them would come up and give him a direct, full-on mouth kiss. Not a snog, but like a full-on mouth kiss in front of me. And I'm like, that's completely inappropriate. You know, it's, it's something going on that I need to know about. He would quite happily feel her. And I'm like, how is that acceptable? And then I was made to be seen like I was being too sensitive. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, yeah, no, that does. Um, so, so the, the friends, what were they, they? These were men and women, or yeah, couples. Couples, and Completely unhealthy couples, but yeah, couples. Okay, and so, like for example, that woman that, that he would he would kiss and fondle is is that was his best friend's wife. Oh, and and they were quite happy, okay with that. Um, I don't know. I never asked. I never had the conversation with him. Mm. I knew that I wasn't happy with it. Mm. I don't, I think kissing somebody on the mouth is a private and intimate romantic thing to do with your partner. It's not something I would do with any of my friends. 
and doing it in front of me was, was her asserting her power over me, really. Hmm. Um, by saying to me initially, we better like you, otherwise you're out. She was trying to assert her power over me. Um, by having this relationship with his children, which I supported because the children loved them. But every time that I wanted to have a bit of an opportunity to spend some time with them, to build my relationship with them, you know, it's almost like we had to ask their permission. Um, the kissing, the touching, the everything had to be about her. It was exhausting. Okay. That was good enough. And looking back, I should have told him what to piss off. But looking back and where I am now, I, I would be like, look, you know, they're your friends. They're your friendship group. I respect that. I'm never going to stop you seeing them, but I, however, want nothing to do with them. Because I find the whole situation uncomfortable. I should have been able to say that, but I didn't. Okay. Um how consciously do you think he was aware of manipulation and how much was just um, he was reacting? This goes back to the question that we've asked each other previously, which is, do we think that they are aware of what they're doing? No, I don't think he was aware of it. I think he was aware of the push and pull of power. It was entirely about power and about control, about where I was in that, that situation. Um, while we were over his neck of the woods with his friends, um, he was totally in control and that's when I would be ignored or um, just taken for granted. You know, at, at that time, you should really be supporting your partner because they're completely vulnerable. Mm. Um, when he was over here, it was, again, different. Was, was he aware of it? I think he was aware of the loss of control and loss of power, and that's when he would step up his manipulation, but it wasn't calculated. I don't think he sat there and thought, well, how can I do it today? For instance, whenever I went away and we would FaceTime or whatever, 80% of the time he would have an issue with me for something so that I would not be enjoying the event. I don't think he sat there and thought, how can I destroy Kerry's experience of this event? I think he just was like, right, well, I'm going to say something about this. And then he could see that I would then be upset or I'd be angry or I'd be like, what, what's going on? And then it'd be like, and then he would be like, we'll talk about it when you get home. So he created a problem in, in order to maintain that sort of control over me whilst I was away out of his reach. Mm. I don't think he did it calculated. I just think it's just his default mechanisms. Yeah. When he moved in, I remember literally days after he moved in, looking at him sat on the sofa with his feet up, thinking, is this what the hell I've signed up for? Because this isn't the first thing that I was seeing last week. Um, 
I just think he'd then finally got his security that he'd so desperately craved. He didn't need to, didn't need to consider me at all, even though it was my house. Hmm. The way that some people, as they call them, narc survivors, suggest is that they've got this arsenal of um, emotional weaponry and they just think, which one can I use today? I think the level of abuse generally is in line with how much, how panicked they are, how panicked they are that you're going to leave them, how panicked they are that you're going to expose them, and how panicked you are that you are independent and happy without them. Mm. Um, and the abuse is about control, fundamentally about you being in their control. Mm. And the thing is, and then they start respecting you less because you are starting to be controlled and then they just have absolutely no value for you at all then. Um, which is the whole cycle of abuse, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I, I, I think people, people get into relationships whether it's healthy or toxic because they want something. And I think, uh, I think too many people go too far down the, the like route of understanding a narcissist and that, um, and thinking they're like this calculated <laughs> genius. Um, if they were, I think they'd, they'd have worked out that that kind of relationship isn't going to last. It's not really going to give them what they want over a long term period of time because it's just not sustainable. I think people are just react just react um to how they feel at the moment and how, and what and what their goals are yeah i agree um i just think it's not very often that somebody is actually sat, sat down and said right okay in your ideal world what sort of relationship is it that you want what it what is your model of love and friendship and relationship and and quite often you know you, you're looking at like the notebook or a dirty dancing or something something that we've been fed or drip fed for for a long time but if people actually sat down and actually thought well really what I, I want is for instance I don't want to actually live with anybody I really enjoy my own space and freedom but I want that connection with somebody da, 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 da. having being able to sit there and go, what it is actually that you want, there is nothing wrong with having what it is that you want. We're presented with opportunities, which is supposedly the dating scene, and we make decisions based on that. And yet quite often, if you're in an emotional state from things that have happened in the past or childhood or whatever, you quite often accept opportunities which aren't ideal for you but you're just so grateful for the attention or grateful for the opportunity or grateful for the affection and love that's flowing towards you at that point and without actually stopping to think well actually does he actually fulfill my needs does he can he could he fulfill my needs can I fulfill his is the other thing Rather than just giving, 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 can you take, take, take as well? Hmm. And I don't think people actually stop and uh, ask themselves that. I no. would. 
My bloody Dana. You you cut out there, but you you saying that you didn't think. I didn't, but yeah. I glad you do now. Yeah, yeah. No, I think um, like I've got a um, model, a, a brave model, which is it starts with the emotional foundation, and it's you've got to have the vision of the relationship you want, because otherwise you're going to get into a relationship just because someone's attractive, because they're good with kids, because they've got a good job, or, or whatever it is. Um, but so many people do for some silly reason that doesn't map to the kind of relationship that they want. So they get into a relationship, they're not fulfilled by it. And then they're like, well, this relationship doesn't work for me. Well, if you did take them a little bit of time and work all that out, you kind of know, and then you've got a criteria to filter people for. I mean, it, isn't, it's, it shouldn't be analytical. I think it should be done prior to meeting anybody rather than write, okay, here's a checklist, tick, 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 which is it's a little bit sort of a bit crap, really. Um, but, you know, there should be criteria, but there should also be deal breakers, um, which I have dated people, not, I wouldn't say relationship status, but I have dated people, which I wouldn't consider now people who have got a history of addiction or people who I don't know have issues that I feel that I am no longer capable of uh, for instance somebody presented themselves to me a few weeks ago and I know that they're having a particularly difficult time getting custody of their children um, from a relationship which is over a few years ago that is embroiled in a custody case with his kids and his ex-missus. And I'm just like, I, I like you and you seem nice, but I don't want the drama. I, I can't help you. I can't fix this. And I don't think you've really got the attention span at the moment to be able to invest in me 100% at this time. So I'm going to have to say no. Mm. Help you I can help you and I can be this supportive person and I can and I'm like mm, you know when it's all sorted um but if you do need my help great give me a shout if it's all sorted then you know give me a shout but this is something I cannot get involved in at an early stage of dating hmm. I just can't deal with it yeah um yeah I mean um, by criteria I, I don't think you you should have like a, a checklist but and I don't think, I think where people get lost is they listen to the words. And if you, if you listen to the words, um, it's easy to say anything and, and people, that's how you're going to get led astray. But I think you, you date without building any expectation or building any kind of thing, but you just watch someone's behavior. Because if you watch the behavior, it's going to tell you who they are. And that then is going to map to, does this behavior, is it going to be sustain the kind of relationship, the way that I want to feel um, and be treated? Okay. Right. So now what I'm really interested in is, so you've gone on this healing journey. Um, what did that look like? How did you, how did you get from where you were then to where you are now? Ironically, by the same um, 
the same way that I was abused, uh, which is in the cycle of idealization, devaluation and discard. So I realized, it was a series of realizations to be fair, Rob, and uh, that took my time that I took, I went at my own pace. Realizations about the relationship, who I was in a relationship with, my responsibility, his responsibility, refusing to take ownership of his behavior as, as, as um, a center of my self-worth. And it's fundamentally, that is, is how I did it. It hasn't been easy and it is ongoing, but I'm happy. And the healing part is what I'm writing about, so I don't really want to go too much into it. But um, I think when you come out of any sort of abusive relationship, whether it be with a boyfriend, girlfriend, relationship, family, friends, whoever, abuse shatters your sense of, of reality your perception of reality and shatters your perception of your self-worth. And in order for people to move forward, you have to face your realities and you have to begin to realize what your reality is um, because the confusion you've spent however long in this relationship in a constant state of probably fight or flight and you've been defending yourself you've been arguing you've been doing this you've been doing that you've been told that you're wrong you've been told that you're right you've been told by you have absolutely no idea what is real anymore and the first thing you have to understand is the reality of your relationship the one that you are currently idealizing this man is amazing he's the only one who can make me feel this way blah 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 so can't, you're only stuck in the cycle of idealization and until you realize it there is no moving on hmm. and that was my that was my harsh reality i had to realize what relationship was but then i got stuck in the whole blame thing well he's this and he's that and labeling him and doing all the research and looking for signs and all the rest of it that was just that was just holding me back in to blame and and then that blame and internalized i turned it on myself um, and then i would go back to idealization and then i was just constant cycle of the first stages of grief i suppose and then i started getting angry and that felt really good but then I had to learn to manage my emotions, also manage my emotional triggers, accept that some days were going to be worse than others, accept that I was going to be doubtful and confused, but also accept or make a commitment to myself to move forward. And that's the important thing. When people are saying, how do I heal? How do I heal? You have to make a commitment to yourself, to wanting. And that is by facing some real hard choices and also knowing that it's going to bloody hurt for a little while hmm. it's, it's like the the saying that the truth will always set you free um but it'll piss you off first <laughs> uh, yeah yeah it was it's been a huge journey but i am um, completely changed from it um 
I have made so many realizations about myself and the reasons that I was attracted to these men. And even though I spent a long time blaming this person, I don't blame him anymore. You know, I can walk away from him. He can't. And I feel a little bit sorry for him, to be fair. And I forgive him because he can't touch me anymore. But and I was grateful for him because, because of him, because of the operation, because I couldn't distract myself, because I couldn't do anything, because I couldn't go to the gym and feel the endorphins and all the rest of it. Because I certainly didn't want to sit and meditate. I had to sit and figure out a way through this. I had to do it because I had dependence. I was not healing physically. I had to find a way through. I wasn't, I couldn't distract. I had to find a different way of doing it. And that was just education and confrontation of myself, really. And you did it. I mean, that's, that's it's probably to face up to, to yourself and your own demons and your own fears and insecurities is probably the hardest thing we have to do. I mean, most of our problems come from the fact that, that we don't want to face. Um, so, for example, like if you look at the diet industry, why it's so you, it's, it's so, so simple. Like you just eat good food, um, you exercise, you, you don't eat rubbish. And yet the, all the fad diets and things are there as a way so that we can still eat what we want and um, lose weight. Um, so... So yes, it's, um, I mean, what you've done is a, is a great achievement. The thing is, it is David Hawkins again, and I do, there are very few books that I've read which have stayed with me. I've read hundreds of books, and I've loved reading these books, but there are some that have become a cornerstone of my belief system. And Power Versus Force and Transcending is um, amazing. And he says that we're just spending most of our life just avoiding fears internally that's not a quote for quotes i can't I'm, i had it on my wall here somewhere and i can't find it now just mm. when i need it but um we fundamentally spend our lifetime just trying to avoid the fears inside and it's just like you can read various books and feel the fear and do it anywhere and all the rest of it but fundamentally at the end of the day who gives a shit <laughs> i'm just like you're, I think what it comes down to for me, all these fears, all these, da, 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 it's just like the only opinion that is important is the one that you have of yourself. Your opinion of me, Rob, is, is none of my business. I hope that you have a positive opinion of me, but it doesn't mean that I'm, it's going to affect my life. Yeah. And I've lived with this disease to please, and that has got me into all of this trouble that I needed to be approved of and validated and all the rest of it. Mm. I don't anymore. Um, I am now taking responsibility for my own behaviour as well, which is another thing. It's very easy to say, right, I'm not going to take his, he's been an arsehole and, and nothing to do with me. I have to take responsibility, which is, you know, the, the way that I, I treated my husband. Um, the, the way that I respond to negative feedback, whether I become immediately defensive or whether I just go, okay, thank you for that, and I will take that on board. Not always easy, 
But no, fundamentally what I think it comes down to is um, how you see yourself in the world. And ultimately where we all want to be is that we have a positive perception of ourselves and a positive perception of other people. And quite often that's just not the case. Mm. So the fad diets are for people who have negative perceptions of themselves and yet positive perceptions of other people. Mm. So, and it is the, um, the cornerstone of the liquor and entertainment industries, isn't it? Um, well, well, really, the, the, the whole economy, you know, like those kind of vulnerabilities, we, we all have them. We all, we all have, you know, even if we had an idyllic childhood, we still have something that we've, we've learned or mislearned, you know, even if no one had bad intentions or, or, or you know, we weren't neglected or, or whatever. Um, but also like the whole media works on making people feel bad because the whole economy runs people buy to make them feel better and so um you know the whole media is like you're never pretty enough you're never um you're never, yeah 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 you're never rich enough you never you, you've never got the status <coughs> so people are always trying to prove themselves to other people in different ways and our whole society is set up like that. And, and you have to liberate yourself. You have to become outside of that and understand all of it is stories. And then this is like my whole thing is built on truth. Because if you, if you go from the truth, you, 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 don't, you don't get into all that shit because you, you, you not, not delude yourself that you're any more than you are and, and also not hate yourself that you're any more than you are. You're as good as you are. And anyone else with the same genetics, with the same experiences, with the same learnings, the same resources would be exactly the same as you. It's, it's understanding that, that like however great you are, you haven't achieved it on your own. It, it's been the environment. It's been all those kind of things that have enabled you. And, and however bad you are, that's all, part of circumstances as well and you just have a little bit of choice of do i choose to be better do i choose to be worse do i choose to to fight to to be do what i can to be the best person i can or do i give in to weakness and um it is about choices yeah it's about making a choice and about yeah again facing realities as well and but making choices and it's yeah make being the best person you can on a daily basis, doing things that you do out of love and not competition mm. or out of malice. Um, and just acceptance, I think. Not accept, ah, oh, you know what, I'm a bit of a git, doesn't matter if I accept me, that's me who I am. No, that, that's not acceptance. Yeah. You know, I've always had a little bit of a weight issue, but you know what, I'm all right with that now because I've just been through this horrendous experience of, of, um, uh, the hysterectomy and all the rest of it, and I'm healthy. So I'm carrying a bit of tub. That's all right with me. Um, it's just, it's exhausting to try and please so many people all the time. And I learned that with um, my ex's friends and stuff. I, I was exhausted mm. trying to please everyone. I was walking on eggshells and things like that. Please, please, please approve of me, approve of me. And I was just, and as soon as it stopped, and as soon as that, I, I just felt liberated. It's like, I don't have to, I don't have to bloody prove it to anyone except myself. 
yeah. if I can go to bed and know that I've been a decent person and then I've responded well or appropriately to negative factors or whatever, like somebody having a go at you at work or, you know, I think also what was empowering for me, Rob, is, you know, I work at stadiums and things like that. If you take somewhere like Twickenham Stadium, that's going to see 84,000 people. And you can sit there and look around at every single one of those people, albeit very quickly. Not one of those people, not one single one has got their shit sorted out. No. And I think that's liberating as well. Yeah, and, and this is where also I think people are like, they, you know, there's always they who know best, you know, like I've said this before, but every like school of thought, whether it's psychology, whether it's therapy, whether it's um, some spiritual path or whatever, they, they're only, we're all working it out as we go. No one has it all worked out. And ultimately the only um, true source of, of wisdom and, and whatever is inside yourself is, is your, you have to, your situation is unique and you have to go through life. No one's got, we have like frameworks of, of, you know, that we have these labels for, but it's all unique within that. These are just broad generalizations that can help to, but you, it's ultimately just your connection, your life, your choices and your understanding. Absolutely. Um, a friend of mine, when we were working in London, she said something to me and, um, I, I hate driving in London. It really stresses me out. Um, she's she's very lackadaisical, and yeah, whatever she goes. At the end of the day, Kerry, we're all driving lost, and that's true. We are all driving lost. Um, it's just whether you sit in your car, bang on your 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 horn, and just wind down the window and abuse somebody out the window, or whether you just sit there, put on a bit of cask on, and just that chill. And I'm I'm choosing to chill, to be fair. Rob, my love, I'm going to have to go. Um, my daughter is going on holiday in a few hours and I just need to, uh, she's desperate to get her stuff from out the, the conservatory. Oh, okay. <laughs> she's just like, can't come in yet. <laughs> okay, well, I just really want to thank you for everyone. Um, I'm sure, like, seeing what you've been through and how well you've detailed it is really going to help people and give them hope that they can they can do the same. And then Absolutely. from hope you get belief and then you get to actually do it. So I, am, um, I will just say this, sorry, obviously, I, I, you've got that I do like to talk. Um, I am fairly unremarkable. Um, I'm not a spiritual leader, I'm not a teacher, I'm not a psychologist, I'm not anything. And all I want to be able to say to people is, I'm happy. And um, if I can do it, then bloody anybody can. You don't have to be a certain person to be able to, gosh, you're so strong. No, I'm not particularly. I've just made a commitment that I didn't want to be that person anymore. Yeah. And that's the key. Thanks for listening. I'm Rob McPhillips, and I'm on a quest to understand and share how we can have better relationships. Go to relationshipgpsproject.com to find out more or get answers to your relationship questions.